Hello everybody, my name is Rieslin Mark, and welcome to another edition of Creating a Humanist Blockchain Future, where we explore the intersection of effective altruism, universal basic income, the attention economy, and blockchain. And today, we're going to kind of be looking at a aspect of blockchain for good, uh, kind of coming from a different perspective, um, namely the platform cooperativism perspective. And today we'll be interviewing Nathan Schneider, who is a writer and scholar in residence of media studies at the University of Colorado Boulder. He's also a leader of the platform cooperative movement, edited the main and only book on the subject, Ours to Hack and to Own, and reported on blockchain technology for Vice, The New Republic, etc. So Nathan, thanks for being on the show and welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Excited to talk about this. And the reason I kind of want this episode arc to kind of be, you know, how we can cross apply the mindset of platform cooperativism into blockchain. And I, I think about it as this kind of once once I talked with you and heard about platform cooperativism, it was like, wow, it felt kind of like the beginning of calculus with like Leibniz and Newton, where it's like you have a monopolized um, kind of centralized Internet and you have things like the sharing economy and, and things where a lot of money is going to these big aggregators. And so one technology response to that is blockchain, but kind of the platform co-op response to that is kind of from a societal perspective. So could you talk a little bit more about what is platform cooperativism and how you kind of got into Well, I, I, thank you. And I, the, the entry point for me was, uh, was with this language of the sharing economy, uh, right? You know, I, I was... Um, uh, right on the heels of, of my previous book, which was, uh, it was called Thank You, Anarchy. It was a, a study of Occupy Wall Street. And I was seeing a lot of those uh, uh, activists who'd been involved in that movement uh, trying to find a different way uh, of doing uh, the economy. Uh, and they were looking for, uh, as the, the protest movements are settling down, they were looking for what to do next. They were looking for um, uh, jobs, things that they could do for their own livelihoods that resonated and, and um, aligned with their with their political interests. Um, they were looking to technology. You know, they'd been involved in um, a lot of technological innovation and, and experimentation in Occupy, and were looking to carry that forward. Um, and uh, and and around that time, this is like 2012, 13, 14. This language of the sharing economy. Uh, started to emerge and started to become more common. Uh, this idea that through online platforms, we would find ourselves in a situation where we would be sharing the stuff of our lives, uh, sharing uh, the, the things that we post online, uh, uh, that, that we would be able to um, uh, own less and share more. Um, and on the one hand, that was very exciting to many people, but uh, it, it didn't take long before people started wondering, hey, wait a second, um, uh, there, this isn't really sharing going on here. This is a kind of corporate rental uh, uh, device in which we really have no ownership or governance. We're not doing any sharing over the platforms themselves. Uh, and that started to become uh, a problem, especially as you know we started to see uh, uh, cases like Uber drivers, where the the um, the standards of labor were going down, and and it seemed to be a kind of race to the bottom for workers. Uh, and then, of course, issues of surveillance uh, and a see for uh, for for all kinds of users. And so, a, a kind of smaller subset of people. Uh, uh, frustrated with that framing, started turning back to an old tradition, uh, a tradition that has really helped build the economy 
of the world as we know it in ways that are, aren't widely appreciated. Uh, and that's the cooperative tradition, the, the tradition of cooperative enterprise. Uh, these are businesses owned and governed by the people that they serve. The people who most depend on them are the ones to whom those businesses are most accountable. And, and I started looking at the ways in which people were starting to figure out how to build online platforms using this kind of model. Uh, and uh, and so I, I started writing stories about them and then uh, soon organizing conferences, co-organizing them with, with colleagues, uh, including Trevor Schultz at the New School, and, um, and starting to see a, a, a different kind of ecosystem forming uh, uh, for what uh, online economies might look like. And, and from the beginning, blockchain has been really key to that conversation. And, and I'd been following the development, especially of the kind of blockchain 2.0 um, uh, 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 projects uh, starting in early 2014 uh, with, the, with the first white paper uh, on Ethereum. And, and on the one hand, it seemed to me like there were incredible opportunities uh, for overlap, for, for using these technologies to bring that, that cooperative uh, uh, tradition uh, back to life. Uh, but then also um, some real dilemmas and ways in which that cooperative tradition might actually have something to offer uh, uh, to remedy some of the shortcomings of this emerging blockchain, blockchain space. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. I think I think the three or, or three quick notes on that. First, I think the language piece that you're talking there is huge. And I, I listened to your TED talk recently, and this language of the sharing economy and of access versus ownership. And and like you're saying, words are just so so important, and we need to be very careful with how we use our words within this. So I think that's a key point. The second one is, yeah, you look back on these old traditions and. You know, you think so much of history in a non-digitized way was built within, and not a ton, but a lot of it was built within these kind of platform cooperative movements, or sorry, just old school cooperative movements. And so really looking to history in order to inform our future, I think, is is a really good pattern match. And then finally, just talking about all these different, something that I was surprised by when I read your book was how many, uh, as part of the book, you have all these different case studies of examples of different people within the space that are doing different things. And I was like, whoa, I'd only heard about the non-platform cooperative movements, morely, more the platform capitalist movements, um, you know, the Ubers and the Airbnbs and what have you. And to just to see all these other ones out there, I was very surprised. I was like, wow, there's a lot of work happening in kind of this bottom-up fashion here. So I, f I found that cool. Um, kind of diving deeper into some of that, though, especially on the blockchain side, how do you – so if I'm a person who is – doing is looking to do like an ICO in the near future, let's say. We don't exactly know what's on. Let's say it's something that's like the basic, or it doesn't really matter what it's on. How would I, you know, are the, are the ICOs as they currently stand, are they, are they, do they align with platform cooperativism or how could they more align with platform cooperativism? Yes and no. It's such an interesting, um, it's such an interesting case. You know, in a hundred years ago, uh, you know, for instance, when my grandfather was was growing up in Colorado with no electricity uh, uh, on a farm, uh, uh, you know, j just about an hour from where I live now, uh, uh, the way you did crowdfunding was through cooperatives. When people had a need that they wanted to pool their resources together for, uh, they used uh, the cooperative model to do that. And uh, in some cases, got some major support in doing that. For instance, you know the the way that they brought electricity to the farm where my grandfather was born was was farmers coming together, pooling resources, building electric cooperatives with uh, financing help from the federal government. 
and uh, that was uh, an effort that you know developed um, uh, uh, you know electricity in 75% of the landmass of the United States. Pretty amazing achievement. Um, and uh, one of the features of that was that in building this kind of do-it-yourself economy as a as an alternative to the um, uh, to the utility companies, the, the investor-owned utilities, they had to build trust. And a way of building trust was through democracy, through building businesses uh, where uh, each member had one vote, uh, where it didn't matter when you joined, as long as you were part of it, you were, you know, you were an equal citizen, so to speak, an equal member uh, of the business, and, uh, uh, and that the business was, was accountable to them. Uh, uh, with the emergence of, of the blockchain technology, there is this drive toward trustlessness. You know, th that, that's kind of a technical term in the technology, but it's also kind of part of the culture, this, this idea that we can build communities without trust. And I think we've seen over and over again in the experience with uh, Bitcoin and forks and, and all, all kinds of altcoins, uh, that trust is going to enter into the process at one place or another. You know, you've got to trust an exchange. You've got to trust um, the people uh, who are who have the power, whether it's social power or technological power, to uh, uh, manage something like a fork. Uh, trust is a part of the process, and I think there would be benefits to seeing how cooperative enterprise has has made that trust explicit at the at the beginning of the process. So, you know, with something like an ICO, we're still, um, it, on the one hand, it's like a cooperative project in that it's allowing people to kind of scrap together resources. And in this case, in some ways, kind of create resources together, create value together uh, and, and build uh, enterprises on it, which is really exciting. Um, not having to rely on, on uh, the kind of corporate gatekeepers in order to do that. That's, that's very powerful. Um, I think the trouble is the way in which it still kind of tends to assume this very speculative um, antitrust uh, uh, framework. You know, this idea that people are in it mainly, you know, to try to, to, to buy up coins and make them valuable rather than to create services that they're going to use and uh, to govern them uh, uh, accordingly. Um, I, th I think that the ways in which the ICO structures so far have, have tended to copy the Wall Street model is um, is indicative of a of a way in which uh, uh, this sector, this whole blockchain space, is in danger of just replicating the very thing it's critical of. And and already many of the people who in 2014, 2015, I was reporting on who were telling me that they were going to uh, uh, replace all the big banks are in many cases now doing projects for those very same big banks. And so I think if we're looking for a real alternative, we need to not only use different technologies, but we also need to use different uh, ownership and governance models. And the cooperative enterprise, uh, 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 the tradition of cooperative enterprise is a set of resources uh, of dating back uh, as long as um, capitalist business models that we can turn to. You know, actually in, in, in the United Kingdom, the cooperative uh, model became uh, uh, possible to uh, uh, to incorporate before the the modern uh, uh, investor-owned business. So this is a long legacy, and with ICOs, we've got several projects working on trying to build that cooperative model into uh, uh, what an ICO might look like. Um, but 
for the most part, what I'm seeing is uh, a kind of copycatting of, um, of, of the Wall Street IPO model, which I don't think gets us all that far. Um, yeah, I think that that uh, is really interesting in the sense that, so I mean, one part of this that I wonder about is how to determine, you know, if something is a platform cooperative or not and from a blockchain perspective. And so, I mean, we're having a tough time doing this from a scam perspective. You know, someone's saying, hey, let's raise a bunch of money through this ICO. It might be a scam. And there are things like consensus diligence or co-founded or CoinList or CoinFund or whatever that kind of are in this space. Is there a way, a specific way for me, if I'm looking online, I'm like, okay, I'd like to know whether this is a kind of a co-op style um, blockchain ICO or a non style what would what kind of specific indicators could I look for well uh, it's a good question and and it's a it's a tough one it's something that for instance in the offline uh, cooperative movement is not always easy um, there's a lot of gray area and there are a lot of uh, very proud co-ops that uh, for instance in some interesting ways fudge the um, the standard definitions of a cooperative um, it, it's worth it for anybody interested in this model to uh, just make sure to look at the definitions uh, available from the International Cooperative Alliance, that's ICA.coop. This is actually an international body of cooperatives around the world that uh, sets the standards for what a cooperative is. There are seven uh, principles that um, more or less date back um, uh, almost two centuries, and uh, there are um, uh, you know, a set of values and a definition uh, that help uh, identify uh, a co-op from from others. Um, they actually use that, for instance, to determine the availability of of um, .coop uh, top-level domains. Uh, so they actually do some investigation to make sure that you know you're serious uh, uh, as a member of the cooperative movement. And and in many places, if a, a company is registered as a cooperative, uh, that many countries and states have. Uh, particular co-op laws. Here in Colorado, we have quite good uh, cooperative laws. And so being incorporated as a cooperative is, is one way of doing that. But I think that the uh, there, there are a few really critical uh, definitional, definitional points. One is that basic principle that, uh, uh, that the business is owned by the people participating in it, that, that it's not just investor control, it's participant control. Uh, and that those uh, uh, participants generally have uh, 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 one vote each, right? So it's it's more like uh, uh, what you would experience in a uh, uh, in a local government uh, than you than than what we're used to in investor-owned businesses, where, for instance, there the more shares you hold, the more shares you've bought, uh, uh, the more votes you have. Uh, those kind those are some of the critical principles, and then the others. Uh, 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 flesh are fleshed out from there. Got it. Yeah. So I think that looking for, and, and that makes me think of essentially DAO style governance, where you say, hey, you have this DAO, and the token holders themselves get to determine uh, where we go with this protocol, whether it's something like Tezos or whether it's something like District X, OX, saying, hey, you as the protocol, as owners of the token, essentially get to determine what the governance is. The other thing that that makes me think of is some of the allocation percentages for these different ICOs. And if you have one where one share equals one vote, but you only open up 10% of the ICO to the community, well, it's unlikely to be that uh, distributed or decentralized. Um, so, yeah, I think that the that's interesting. I, I want 
as this space continues further, I would love for there to be something kind of like a B corporation or what have you that you can just like add a stamp to a given blockchain uh, ICO that says, hey, this is certified uh, co-op. Would that be possible? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and it would be something worth, um, uh, for instance, uh, engaging the, the ICA on uh, and some of these existing institutions that can offer that kind of certifying authority. And, you know, I'm in in constant contact with uh, with ICA and the, the uh, uh, National Cooperative Business Association here in the United States uh, to try to help bring them into these conversations. Uh, and so, um, uh, uh, so, so as need emerges, I think we already have the infrastructure for doing that sort of thing. You know, I, I think there's a um, there's a, a tendency in the blockchain space to want to dispense with institutions. So the kind of thing that I just described sounds very troubling. Though, you know, I, I think we've already seen what is really happening is we're just displacing institutions. We're changing institutions, and um, you know, we're we're switching our our trust from. Uh, uh, from certain kinds of banks to certain kinds of investors and certain other players who invest trust in uh, in in the projects that we're, uh, we're we're talking about and playing around with, um, and I think I think we would do a lot better to be conscious about that. You know, to make sure that that we recognize this is a, an opportunity to change. Uh, uh, the structures of trust of our economy, rather than to imagine that we're going to totally dispense with them. Because if we do that, uh, uh, I think we're going to end up trusting people who aren't really worthy of that trust. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is, you know, and, and that reminds me of a couple things. One, there's going to be a recentralization vector at some of these conferences in New York. They were talking about, yeah, we're going to, there was kind of an initial decentralization at the beginning of the internet, and then there was a recentralization, and now we might have more decentralization as a result of uh, blockchain, but then there's going to be recentralization vectors, and we can kind of determine what those are going to be. Um, so we can, should kind of uh, know and accept that they're going to happen and then direct them in the correct location. The other thing that, that makes me think of is in kind of taking a step away from some of the specific kind of blockchain uh, platform co-op work that you're doing and kind of, you know, maybe abstracting one out and going to kind of the more future-facing things here. Um, so in a recent interview, we I talked with um, this guy, Simon de la Rouvier from Consensus about how to... Um, about these different levels of coordination that can exist now with blockchain, and it's easier to coordinate, essentially, than it used to be in the past. And I'd love to just get your perspective on, you know, if you think about something like Uber, and Uber essentially has centralized coordination in Silicon Valley with uh, massive, they, you know, they have a platform, and then you have all the riders and the um, drivers essentially operating on a platform with 30% or whatever going to Silicon Valley. And you're in, like, an optimal platform co-op world um, you know, in Denver, we have these green, the green taxi initiative, and um, it allows, it's like a Denver-owned uh, kind of cooperative, kind of like Uber. In, in your optimal world, would there be like a bunch of, would there be a ride-sharing service for every city or for every county, and those would have, could like have interoperable data between each other? Or what does this kind of optimal ride-sharing platform co-op world look like? Well, I was just talking with uh, some folks in Europe who are uh, who are working on this uh, on a kind of blockchain and platform co-op basis. So it's a very live question, and and people are engaged in uh, in in the work in this direction. Um, I, you know, one thing that is really cool about cooperative enterprises is that they have uh, uh, often been used for this coordination problem. 
uh, among businesses. You know, for instance, that grandfather I mentioned earlier, he ended up becoming uh, director of a, a hardware purchasing cooperative. You know, that uh, that basically allowed a bunch of family-owned hardware stores to stay in business by pooling their their uh, ownership. You know, the the way that cooperatives tend to compete with big businesses is by federating rather than uh, conglomerating. You know, the, the way a big business, a big, you know, investor-owned business uh, 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 grows is it just spreads everywhere because its investors want as much control as possible. For cooperatives, uh, because they're accountable to their participants, participants want local control, but they want the benefits of economies of scale. So, so this is a model that has long used federated structures in order to govern and, and also to do financing. Um, and so there are a lot of ways in which uh, blockchain chain technologies might be used to kind of bring some of these advantages into the into the 21st century. Uh, for for something like ride sharing, I think there's incredible opportunity to solve some of the regulatory uh, and local control challenges that that uh, platforms like Uber pose. Uh, and we th this is why we've had policymakers very very excited about platform co-ops. You know, Jeremy Corbyn in the UK has. Uh, you know, the head of the Labour Party has has made platform cooperativism part of his um, part of his his digital democracy strategy, and and uh, the city of Barcelona has been integrating uh, this work into what they're doing uh, because they want more options. And uh, uh, you know, you could imagine a vision of a, a ride sharing uh, system in which anywhere you go, you might be using the same app, the same protocol, right? Um, but in each place that you go, the users of the protocol are a local cooperative or a local company uh, or even just individuals uh, who, who then access that protocol. And maybe the protocol is uh, there's some governance standards where those different entities in different places, which are accountable to local laws, then kind of come together and make protocol level decisions. You know, we already have stuff like this with, with um, you know, the, the um, organizations like WC3 uh, uh, that regulate the World Wide Web and, and that set standards where you have people coming together from many different uh, organizations. And uh, making that kind of governance more explicit could be very, very powerful and could really create competitive advantages uh, against a company like Uber uh, that really has to uh, uh, do a kind of one-size-fits-all product, uh, and and you know I think this spreads across a great many sectors, and and you know one area that we're starting to see a lot of growth in is medical data, um, you know where there's where there's a lot of different kinds of regulatory arenas there, um, but there are opportunities for sharing software in different places and enabling different countries. Uh, or, or states even to set up their own uh, health data cooperatives, linking them together, um, uh, allowing them to pool data, but allowing them to handle the local regulation on their own. Yeah, I think that the, so there, like you said, I like how you use the protocol level there where you might use a single app, but it's really just this, uh, they're operating at the protocol level and at the sub level, it's really these local co-ops um, that are essentially interoperable with each other. And like you said, they're in the future, we might have 
you know, it, the, the federation versus essentially acquisition or interoperability versus acquisition. So instead of Facebook, you know, acquiring WhatsApp and Instagram and Oculus, they might just make uh, messaging protocols between each of those things to operate, oh, yeah. operate with Facebook or something of that and, variety. And, you know, to your point, I don't think that the centralization of the Internet is a necessary uh, uh, process. It, it's a chosen process and it's a structural process. You know, the the internet is itself a decentralized network. And, and you know, blockchain technologies are fundamentally decentralized networks. Um, the problem is, is that we've adopted a highly centralized business model uh, uh, for these things. You know, I, I mean, many people listening to this might be aware of uh, federated social networks, you know, tools like Diaspora, GNU Social, the latest one is Mastodon. You know, these social networks that are based on people having local control of their data, but being able to uh, 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 interact with a larger network. It bas it's basically like email, you know, you, you have, doesn't matter what server your email address is at, you can still send to each other because of a shared protocol. And this has been technologically possible for a long time. Uh, the problem has been that there hasn't been uh, uh, investors willing to back it because they want to control the whole pie. So they back companies like Twitter and Facebook. Uh, um, I think uh, cooperative models could create a, a business model for this kind of uh, federated social network uh, in a way that um, investors uh, otherwise wouldn't. And uh, there are a great many parallels to this, a great many opportunities where cooperative models through their uh, uh, local control and federation could re-decentralize the internet, re-decentralize the blockchain and, and unlock the the trapped value in these technologies that we haven't been able to see because of the centralizing uh, investor-owned business models that we've uh, allowed to dominate. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and so I, I would love to go deeper on the investor models, and especially from a pushback perspective. So the classic mindset is like, okay, you know, I'm a startup founder, and here's an investor, and in order to bet on me, you kind of have to invest, I have to be creating a black swan startup, one that has 100x returns, hopefully 1,000x returns, you know, and the investor needs to be thinking from that perspective as well. And so how, why would I as a startup founder or why would the investor uh, want to back a startup that's not a 100x black swan? How, how, how does a platform cooperative say, you know, we actually could be better and you should back us, Mr. or Mrs. Investor person? Well, the fact is, is there's a lot of value between zero and unicorn. Right. There's a lot of, you know, there are companies like MailChimp that, that grew without any venture capital money. You know, uh, uh, th this is perfectly possible. Uh, and uh, and then there are companies that are, that are a million ways in between, you know, where they've taken some, they've had different kinds of blended models uh, and they've grown on a kind of mix between investment and revenue. Um, and uh, th this idea that it's either unicorn or bust, I think, is is demonstrably false. It's a kind of it's a kind of myth that, that we've told ourselves. And this is a reason why, for instance, uh, 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 firms like Union Square Ventures have been very interested in both blockchain uh, and uh, platform cooperativism uh, because they recognize they're smart enough to recognize that um, that there's value in decentralized strategies, um, it, and it's it, and there there's value in linear growth curves as well as as well as exponential ones, and um, and and there's value in creating uh, community value, uh, and you know I, I just think of 
the uh, there's a worker co-op solar installation company up the road from me here in Boulder, Colorado, called Namaste Solar. You know, that's a company owned by its workers. It has no trouble raising capital. Uh, you know, they're they're um, they're not selling any any voting shares right to their investors, but they're able to uh, offer a really great reward, uh, a return, a, a really great um, uh, 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 risk profile. Uh, because like, hey, you know, if they run into trouble, uh, you know, the, the the workers don't get paid until the investors do. So the workers have a really strong incentive to make sure that the investors get a fair return. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, and they're doing their growth by federation. You know, they're, they're growing their business on a linear curve, but then they're also setting up um, uh, purchasing cooperatives on a national scale for solar panels, for for services and now setting up a credit union for financing. Um, uh, so, so it's just, it's a different model. It's a different set of, of possibilities, um, but it's one with a tremendous amount of value. It's one that has helped, uh, uh, you know, build uh, uh, economies around the world uh, and, uh, and create value uh, uh, that I think, that I think deserves a lot more attention in the online space where these kinds of models have, so far been almost totally ignored yeah yeah i think that the and, and i i think a key thing hopefully with blockchains that will be able to enable this is what we're optimizing around and when you said you know we've classically optimized for dollar value and when you have one investor over here another investor over here and these ones are better at getting 100 extra turns well then if you're everything is optimized around dollar value then you have to choose the ones who are the best at picking the black swans um but as you're saying like hey there's value in community value, and and that's not something that's naturally as um, optimized for or measured. But if you think about you know Robert Putnam's social capital and things of that variety, where you say, hey, these things are important and, and and matter to us. I I I hope to be able to measure them in more explicit ways with like blockchain-based tokens, essentially, so that then when someone invests, they say, hey, I'm investing in this early startup. I expect to get a 5x return on my money. I expect to get a 5x increase of social capital in the communities that it's providing. I expect there to be, you know, increased trust. I expect there to be, you know, maybe it's a for a nonprofit, it's not necessarily value for me, but it's value for the world. So I think that there are ways, hopefully ways that we can optimize around things that aren't just dollars. <laughs> yeah, and and to recognize the the competitive value of of those other, you know, uh, uh, at, forms of value. You know, you, you know, when you look at, at companies like Organic Valley, you know, which helps build the organic food industry, right? It's a cooperative owned by, our, by farmers. It, it created that a whole sector um, uh, or helped create a sector along with food co-ops and other kinds of cooperative enterprises that other kinds of businesses just couldn't do. It stitched together an economy, you know, and, and when you look at, for instance, Associated Press, a, a kind of earlier generations media cooperative uh, uh, started in 1846 or so, uh, uh, you know, it's had uh, uh, investor owned competitors its entire lifespan and it's beaten them all out, you know, because the cooperative model just aligned better with the kind of business that they were doing. And as a result, we have this really powerful media utility in our country. Uh, and many other countries have similar things as well, uh, uh, also organized as cooperatives, uh, that, that has enabled, um, you know, a, a kind of source of, of factual news that both Fox News and CNN, you know, are members of. Uh, and and, and that's, a, that's a very powerful thing. So, so it's not just 
you know, relying and waiting for people's better angels to take over. It's recognizing that this is a different set of uh, of alignments, and 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 it could even mean, you know, a different view of the human person. Um, uh, you know, when you look at at um, uh, uh, Bitcoin technology, blockchain technology, so far. Uh, you, you know, one one a- analyst early on pointed out to me, you know, only like a third or a half of what secures Bitcoin is the crypto stuff, you know, the tech, you know, a big chunk of it is, is game theory, right? It's, it's a theory about human beings. It's a theory about how we act and what we will do and what we won't do. And it, it works, but I don't think it fully encompasses what we're capable of. And so, you know, I think it's worth posing the challenge of uh, uh, what, how could we design uh, blockchain technologies in ways that take advantage and 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 operate along uh, the lines of other kinds of human values and human uh, uh, capacities. Uh, the value of of um, of well aligned, well incentivized cooperation is something that uh, could be very powerful and. According to the uh, prevailing um, uh, anthropology of the blockchain space, it is being overlooked. Yeah, yeah, I think that there is a lot of so. So I can kind of to take that and to turn it into a kind of our final topic here and to say, hey, what you know, if you were to recommend to someone in, the, I think a lot of people in blockchain don't necessarily know about platform cooperativism, um, even though they're hyper aligned. What is something, and, you, and you're kind of at this intersection, so what, if you were to tell someone in the, who's working in the blockchain world, hey, try to, you know, do this thing that's more platform cooperativism-y, um, what would you tell them to, how could they actually, how, how could they get it more into the, the work that they're doing, the company that they're at, how could they think more from this, block, from this platform co-op mindset? Well, I, I think patience is, is uh, a part of it, you know, and recognizing how deep our cultural biases are, how, how much we've been trained to think of business as happening a certain way. Um, and, 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 uh, uh, and, and also many of us have a kind of knee jerk um, idea of what a cooperative is. You know, maybe uh, it was a farmer co-op that our families were part of. Maybe it was a cooperative house that we lived in. And I think it's really important to recognize the incredible breadth of uh, cooperative businesses uh, already and to recognize that this is a very malleable and flexible uh, framework uh, uh, that has that has succeeded and, and sometimes failed in many different ways in many parts of the world. So just giving yourself the space to, to learn uh, about what the, the different options that this model could have. Um, I, I certainly recommend taking a look at, at our book, Ours to Hack and to Own, uh, uh, which uh, offers a kind of tour of some of the very early uh, projects. Uh, we're going to have our, our next conference, our third uh, conference in the U.S. in November uh, in New York City. You can learn more about that platform.coop. You can browse the the directory of the um, uh, of this emerging ecosystem at uh, the Internet of Ownership, which is ioo.coop, uh, and um, uh, and and you can find more events that are happening there as well. We've even got an, uh, an email list that's linked to there on the bottom uh, of that site if you want to really go deep with people who are uh, working hands-on in this stuff. But, you know, the, the, I, again, I would just uh, emphasize, you know, when I first saw, uh, came across um, uh, the, the kind of 
possibilities of the blockchain 2.0. You know, when I first recognized that this is about more than just money, you know, um, it, it seemed to me that this is a chance for us to uh, bring about a renaissance of democracy, you know, a renaissance of experimentation and exploration of how we do governance, how we create appropriate, accountable uh, economic structures. And, you know, so far there's been a lot of really cool stuff happening in, in uh, blockchain, but I don't know that that has really been even uh, 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 tapped. You know, I think there is so much more to be done in terms of building real uh, democracy into the into the smart contracts that we're coding up here, uh, and um, and I really look forward to seeing a new generation of of uh, uh, blockchain developers uh, uh, start recognizing the power of stuff that came before them uh, and the power of democracy in the in the code that they write. Yeah, I love that, and that that reminds me of. So A, I super recommend the uh, the book, Ars to Hack and to Own. I read it. I loved it. It's a great thing that you can just check in on later. In the directory, I just checked that out earlier today as well. And it was just like, oh, here's a bunch of co-ops that are in my area. And now <laughs> the next time I take a ride-sharing app, I'm going to try the green taxi instead of uh, Uber or Lyft just to see. I'm not sure. Um, and then on your final note there of these new kinds of – I might we might disagree on how much experimentation is happening on this level, but I'm I'm excited for especially at the the DAO level, the distributed autonomous organization level of things like um, things like Aragon are in this space working here. Um, you know, Olaf from Polychain Capital talks a lot about new DAO level um, scaffolding and, and infrastructure that he's excited by. So I'm pumped for that as well. As a final conclusion, um, I want to do a quick takeaways of what we talked about. So the goal essentially was to talk about how to cross-apply some platform co-op mindsets into um, blockchain. And we looked at first uh, how Nathan got into it from the language of the sharing economy. Super important to look at language. Also super important to look at history and see that, hey, blockchain kind of cooperative style uh, governance systems have been around for many, many years. Um, so we looked at language and history for a bit. Then we looked at these kinds of new, if we're looking at a new ICO, uh, kind of checking its ownership and governance models is a great way to see, um, A, who gets to vote on what within the system? Is it kind of DAO-based voting or is it more explicitly just like the first investors? And what is the kind of um, ownership percentages for the community versus for um, other people in the project? So those are two ways to kind of check an ICO for platform cooperativism mindset. Uh, then we talked a little bit about the new way that um, some of these systems will interoperate with each other and how platform cooperativism kind of allows for instead of kind of acquisition of bigger companies by smaller companies instead kind of interoperability between those companies so that's something to hope for and expect for with co uh, platform co-ops and blockchain and then finally we talked about the you know what we're optimizing around and how um, investors are classically going for 100x returns um, and that's a dollar value but things like union square ventures are really into some of these new platform co-op and decentralizing the internet kinds of uh, takes on investors uh, on investing which allows you to optimize not just around dollar value but also things like social capital um, so with that much said uh, thank you nathan for your time if you guys want to check out uh, me you can go to Reese, you can go to patreon.com slash Reese Lindmark. That's slash R-H-Y-S-L-I-N-D-M-A-R-K. Um, and Nathan, again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for your thought and, and uh, your questions. Great. Thanks, everybody, and goodbye. Goodbye.